Chapter Eighteen of Our Mr. Wren: The Romantic Adventures of a Gentleman by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Our Mr. Wren by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Eighteen and follows a wandering flame through perilous seas. They had a picnic dinner early up there on the Palisades. Nellie and Mr. Wren, Mrs. Artie and Tom, Miss Proudfoot and Mrs. Samuel Ebbett, the last of whom kept ejaculating, "'Well, I ain't run off like this in ten years!' They squatted about a red cotton tablecloth spread on a rock, broadly discussing the sandwiches and cold chicken and lemonade and stuffed olives, and laughing almost to a point of distress over Tom's accusation that Miss Proudfoot had secreted about her person a bottle of rye whiskey. Nellie was very pleasant to Mr. Wren, but she called him neither Billy nor anything else, and mostly she talked to Miss Proudfoot, smiling at him, but saying nothing when he managed to get out a jest about Mrs. Artie's chewing-gum. When he moved to her side with a wooden plate of cream-cheese sandwiches, which Tom humorously termed cold-cream wafers, Mr. Wren started to explain how he had come to enter Istra's room. "'Why shouldn't you?' Nellie asked curtly, and turned to Miss Proudfoot. "'She doesn't seem to care much,' he reflected, relieved and stabbed in his humble vanity, and reattracted to Nellie all at once. He was anxious about her opinion of Istra and her opinion of himself, and slightly defiant, as she continued to regard him as a respectable person whose name she couldn't exactly remember. Hadn't he the right to love Istra if he wanted to? he desired to know of himself. Besides, what had he done?' just gone out walking with his English hotel acquaintance Istra. He hadn't been in her room but just a few minutes. Fine reason that was for Nelly to act like a blooming iceberg. Besides, it wasn't as if he were engaged to Nelly or anything like that. Besides, of course, Istra would never care for him. There were several other besideses with which he harrowed himself while trying to appear picnically agreeable. He was getting very much confused, and was slightly abrupt, as he said to Nellie, "'Let's walk over to that high rock on the edge.' A dusky afterglow filled the sky before them as they silently trudged to the rock, and from the top of the sheer cliff contemplated the smooth and steely grey Hudson below. Nellie squeaked her fear at the drop and clutched his arm, but suddenly let go and drew back without his aid. He groaned within. "'I haven't the right to help her.' He took her arm as she hesitatingly climbed from the rock down to the ground. She jerked it free, curtly saying, "'No, thank you.' She was repentant in a moment, and cheerfully, "'Miss Nash took me in her room yesterday and showed me her things. My, she's got such beautiful jewels, lavaliers and pearls, and a swell amethyst brooch. My, she told me all about how the girls used to study in Paris, and how sorry she would be to go back to California and keep house. Keep house? Nellie let him suffer for a moment before she relieved him with, For her father. Oh, did she say she was going back to California soon? Not till the end of summer, maybe. Oh, oh, Nellie. For the first time that day he was perfectly sincere. He was trying to confide in her, but the shame of having emotions was on him. He got no farther. 
To his amazement, Nelly mused, "'She is very nice.' He tried hard to be gallant. "'Yes, she is interesting, but of course she ain't anywhere as near as nice as you are, Nelly. Be—' "'Oh, don't, Billy.' The quick agony in her voice almost set them both weeping. The shared sorrow of separation drew them together for a moment. Then she started off with short, swift steps, and he tagged after. He found little to say. He tried to comment on the river. He remarked that the apartment houses across in New York were bright in the sunset, that in fact the upper windows looked like there was fire in there. Her sole comment was, Yes. When they rejoined the crowd, he was surprised to hear her talking volubly to Miss Proudfoot. He rejoiced that she was game, but he did not rejoice long, for a frightened feeling that he had to hurry home and see Istra at once was turning him weak and cold. He didn't want to see her. She was intruding, but he had to go, go at once, and the agony held him all the way home while he was mechanically playing the part of stern reformer and agreeing with Tom Poppins that the horrors of the recent Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire showed that something ought to be done, something sure ought to be. He trembled on the ferry till Nelly, with a burst of motherly tenderness in her young voice, suddenly asked, "'Why, you're shivering dreadfully. Did you get a chill?' Naturally he wanted the credit of being known as an invalid and pitied nurse, but he reluctantly smiled and said, "'Oh, no, it ain't anything at all.' Then Istra called him again, and he fumed over the slowness of their landing. And at home Istra was out. He went resolutely down and found Nelly alone, sitting on a round pale yellow straw mat on the steps. He sat by her. He was very quiet, not at all the jovial young man of the picnic properly following the boarding-house district rule that males should be jocular and show their appreciation of the ladies by kidding them. And he spoke with a quiet graciousness that was almost courtly, with a note of weariness and spiritual experience such as seldom comes into the boarding-houses to slay joy and bring wisdom and give words shyness. He had, as he sat down, intended to ask her to go with him to a moving-picture show. But inspiration was on him. He merely sat and talked. When Mr. Wren returned from the office two evenings later, he found this note awaiting him. Dear Mouse, Friend has asked me to join her in studio and have beat it. Sorry not to see you and say good-bye. Come see me sometime. Phone before and see if I'm in. Spring XXX, address XX, South Washington Square. In haste, Istra. He spent the evening in not going to the studio. Several times he broke away from a pinochle game to rush upstairs and see if the note was as chilly as he remembered. It always was. Then for a week he awaited a more definite invitation from her, which did not come. He was uneasily polite to Nelly these days, and tremulously appreciative of her gentleness. He wanted to brood, but he did not take to his old habit of long, solitary walks. Every afternoon he planned one for the evening, every evening found that he wanted to be around with folks. He had a sort of youthful, defiant despair, so he jested much at the card-table, by way of practicing his new game of keeping people from knowing what he was thinking. He took sophisticated pleasure in noting that Mrs. Artie no longer condescended to him. He managed to imitate Tom's writing on a card, which he left with a bunch of jonquils in Nellie's room, and nearly persuaded even Tom himself that Tom was the donor. Probably, because he didn't much care what happened, he was able to force Mr. Mortimer R. Gilfogle to raise his salary to twenty-three dollars a week. Mr. Gilfogle went out of his way to admit that the letters to the southern trade had been a first-rate stunt, son. 
John Henson, the head of the Souvenir Company's manufacturing department, invited Mr. Wren home to dinner, and the account of the cattle boat was much admired by Mrs. Henson and the three young Hensons. A few days later, in mid-June, there was an unusually cheerful dinner at the boarding-house. Nelly turned to Mr. Wren. Yes, he was quite sure about it. She was speaking exclusively to him, with a lengthy and most merry account of the manner in which the floor superintendent had called down the unkindest of the islesmen. He longed to give his whole self in his answer, to be in the absolute community of thought that lovers know, but the image of Istra was behind his chair. Istra, he had to see her, now, this evening. He rushed out to the corner drug store and reached her by telephone. "'Yes,' admitted Istra, a little grudgingly. "'She was going to be at the studio that evening, though she, well, there was going to be a little party, some friends. But, yes, she'd be glad to have him come.' Grimly, Mr. Wren set out for Washington Square. Since this scientific treatise has so exhaustively examined Mr. Wren's reactions toward the aesthetic, one need give but three of his impressions of the studio and people he found on Washington Square namely a that the big room was bare ill-kept and not comparable to the red plush splendor of mrs arty's for all its pretension to superiority why a lot of the pictures weren't framed and you should have seen the giltness and fruit-borderedness of the frames at mrs arty's b that the people were brothers in talk to the inmates of the flat on great james street london only far less and friendly c that Mr. Wren was now a man of friends, and if the blooming bohemians, as he called them, didn't like him, they were permitted to go to the Dickens. Istra was always across the room from him somehow. He found himself glad. It made their parting definite. He was going back to his own people, he was deciding. As he rose with elaborate boarding-house apologies to the room at large for going, and a cheerful but not intimate good-night to Istra, she followed him to the door and into the dark long hallway without good-night mouse dear i'm glad you got a chance to talk to the silver girl but was mr hargis rude to you i heard him talking single tacks or was it matisse and he's usually rude when he talks about them no he was all right then what is worrying you oh nothing good-night you are going off angry aren't you no but oh there ain't any use of our of me being is there no matisse the guy you just spoke about and these artists here to-night in bobtail dress suits i wouldn't know when to wear one of them things and when a swallow-tail if i had one even or when a, when a prince albert or oh not a prince albert mouse dear say a frock coat sure that's what i mean it's like that matisse guy i don't know about none of the things you're interested in while you've been away from mrs arty's lord i've missed you so but when i try to train with your bunch or when you spring matisse he seemed particularly to resent the unfortunate french artist on me i sort of get on to myself and now it ain't like it was in england i've got a bunch of my own i can chase around with anyway i got on to myself to-night i suppose it's partly because i've been thinking you didn't care much for my friends but mouse dear all this isn't news to me surely you who've gypsied with me aren't going to be so obvious so banal as to blame me because you've cared for me are you child oh no 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 i didn't mean to do that i just wanted oh gee i dunno well i wanted to have things between us definite i do understand 
you're quite right and now we're just friends aren't we yes then good-bye and sometime when i'm back in new york i'm going to california in a few days i think i'll be able to get back here i certainly hope so though of course i'll have to keep house for friend father for a while and maybe i'll marry myself a local magnet in desperation but as i was saying dear when i get back here we'll have a good dinner nictoire yes and good-bye she stopped at the top of the stairs looking down he slowly clumped down the wooden treads boiling with the amazing discoveries that he had said good-bye to istra that he was not sorry and that now he could offer to nelly crubel everything istra suddenly called oh mouse wait just a moment she darted like a swallow she threw her arm about his shoulder and kissed his cheek instantly she was running upstairs again and had disappeared into the studio mr william wren was walking rapidly up riverside drive thinking about his letters to the southern merchants while he was leaving the studio building he had perfectly seen himself as one who was about to go through a tumultuous agony after which he would be free of all the desire for istra and ready to serve nelly sincerely and humbly but he found that the agony was all over even to save his dignity as one who was being dramatic he couldn't keep his thoughts on istra every time he thought of nelly his heart was warm and he chuckled softly several times out of nothing came pictures of the supercilious persons whom he had heard solving problems of the world at the studio on washington square and he muttered oh hope they choke istra's all right though she learnt me an awful lot but gee i'm glad she ain't in the same house i suppose i'd agonize round if she was suddenly at no particular street corner on riverside drive just a street he fled over to broadway and the subway he had to be under the same roof with nelly if it were only possible to see her that night but it was midnight however he formulated a plan the next morning he would leave the office find her at her department store and make her go out to manhattan beach with him for dinner that night he was home he went happily up the stairs he would dream of nelly and nelly's door opened and she peered out drawing her peignoir about her oh she said softly is it you yes my you're up late do you are you all right he dashed down the hall and stood shyly scratching at the straw of his newest hat why yes nelly course poor uh oh don't tell me you have a headache again no i was awfully foolish of course but i saw you when you went out this evening and you looked so savage and you didn't look very well but now it's all right then good night oh no listen please do i went over to the place miss nash is living at because i was pretty sure that i ain't hipped on her sort of hypnotized by her any more and i found i ain't i ain't i don't know what to say i i want to i want you to know that from going to try and see if i can't get you to care for me he was dreadfully earnest and rather quiet with the dignity of the man who has found himself i'm scared he went on about saying this because maybe you'll think i've got an idea i'm kind of a little tin god and all i've got to do is to say which girl i'll want and she'll come a-running but it isn't that it isn't it's just that i want you to know i'm going to give all of me to you now if i can get you to want me and i am glad i knew istra she learnt me a lot about books and all so i have more to me or maybe will have for you it's nelly promise you'll be my friend promise if you knew how i rushed back here to-night to see you billy she held out her hand and he grasped it as though it were the sacred symbol of his dreams to-morrow she smiled with a hint of tears i'll be a regular lady i guess and make you explain and explain like everything but now i'm just glad yes defiantly i will admit it if i want to i am glad 
her door closed. End of chapter 18 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com